you know where you go when you die? I do. You go on, reborn into something else, like a caterpillar becoming a moth. Until now, I've been able to track the moth in its cocoon. The body has to adjust, of course. It adapts. We weren't built for this kind of thing. Sort of like how some filmmakers weren't built for adapting the work of H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing the 2016 film The Void, um, continuing what we started out with The Prince of Darkness. Not a mm -hmm. adaptation in any way, shape, or form when it comes to, to textuality, but a, a spiritual adaptation, if you will. Yes. Um, one that I, I, I've heard about a while ago and was always curious to see, especially, it, it's got a bunch of different posters, but one of the posters is always like has tentacle things coming out of a of a of a geometric shape i'm sort of like okay let's see what this one has to offer <laughs> exactly and that and that's kind of like when i when i was hearing about it and we'll get into that later it was something similar it's like oh okay tentacle type beasts and i wonder if they're going for the lovecraft bent and yeah i'm like and then you watch it and you go okay you know i see <laughs> and I, i've got to say now that i've watched it and i just watched it yesterday so it's still kind of fresh in my mind Mm -hmm. Um, not really sure it, uh, it's that Lovecraftian. I, I, I feel like I kind of, yeah. it, it's sort of, it's funny. James and I were texting while I was watching it. I think it, it takes a lot more from Carpenter than it does Lovecraft, but Carpenter borrows a lot from Lovecraft. So it's, it's almost kind of like a copy of a copy in a way. Yeah. Like we'll, we'll, we'll get into a lot of the influences, but like another thing, like you, you had said, and, and I see it. And then actually in one of the special features, um silent hill mm -hmm. also and they even talk the directors and writers talk about silent hill was one of their loves and they like can we make like an actual horror film not like a tongue-in-cheek films that they were doing as astron six before let's try to make something and and they were just trying to think of a title and they were going on and on and like one of them really wanted to do something called eclipse and then the the other um i think it was um i think it might have been gillespie was like uh you know that's a twilight film right like twilight eclipse and he's like <laughs> yeah. ah you know but then he came up with the void which was a title he just he actually didn't hate right away he's sure. like the void mm -hmm. okay we can we can go with that and a lot of cool backstory behind how they got to the kind of taking a little bit from lovecraft on other stuff because of where they were working at the time and Kind of like this crazy path where this film multiple times almost didn't get made. Yeah. Which is a cool story. But I know we have a little, a few little things to talk about beforehand. Yes. Um, which is cool. But yeah, like, you know, I can't wait. Can't wait. Yes. But uh, so, some life events um, to update you all on. Nothing major. But since we, we last talked, and that's figuratively us to you, the <laughs> audience, but also me to, to James on this podcast... Yeah. Um, I became a, a, a an official card-carrying member of the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. Um, yeah. I encourage James to sign up as well. And then we also uh, it, are, are members on the Facebook page as well. It's really kind of cool. I mean, if you're yeah. super into Lovecraft, it's a cool group to be associated with. Um, Pretty good, yeah. Membership in the club is actually only like $20 a year. Um, and that gets you... Um, I'm. It's, it's sitting here at my coffee table. I got a... a, a a typed letter from Andrew Lehman, who is the uh, director of the Black and White Call of Cthulhu, which we'll, we will get to at some point. 
Yeah. Um, he's also, if you listen to the HP Lovecraft um, Historical Society podcast um, from hppodcraft.com, he does a lot of the readings of the actual stories, and he's got a voice for radio. It's fucking great. Before you go on, it's funny you mentioned Andrew Lehman because, like, I had never put him together because I, I have that I have that DVD. It's in storage because <laughs> I bought it when it came out in Best Buy when I was working there. Mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, what's this? You know, I was like, and I fell in love with it. But I also have a bunch of the recordings he's done on vinyl from Cadabra Records, which one day for the page, I will, I'm finally getting some of this stuff into my new apartment. And I was showing um, my girlfriend, Corinne, all like these, and she's like, oh my God, these are beautiful. Like, like, because the, not only just the vinyl is beautiful, but the artwork. And then you get to the actual audio stories and like, there's so many different ones. Like one, like one has like a score by um, Fabio Fritzi from you know Goblin. Oh, wow. Like they they go all out with mm. these like productions. Like some are just readings by Andrew Lehman, but then some are actual audio stories that they read. You know, it's like a play, and it's like it's so cool. Like it gets a little expensive because it's it's vinyl and vinyl's popular. So <laughs> yeah. you know, but one day maybe may, you know, hopefully we'll get and then. Now I'm like searching for old stuff, like you know, because because of that and because of the the Lovecraft Society, like someone put up a thing about Roddy McDowell reading Lovecraft stories back in the '60s on vinyl, <laughs> and and we and you and I might try to find it on YouTube. You can listen to it, and it's fantastic. It's just Roddy McDowell just reading Lovecraft stories. You know, like okay, and this is before his big boom. So it's like this is the '60s when. Probably around. I'm, I'm going to guess it's probably around the same time that um, Corman was doing the Poe adaptations, and then also yeah. doing some of his Lovecraft stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, stuff that they do, Cadabra, and like they, that's how you, I knew they were doing good stuff because I'm like, oh, Andrew Lehman, okay, they they get it, and that's a, like another company right there that doesn't get enough credit, but they go all out with their adaptations because they're not only just Lovecraft, but they do bunch of other different like lesser known horror books like one day i'm just like i said i'm just gonna take pictures of each one and start <laughs> putting it up on the page and tell people buy their stuff before they get too expensive you know yeah no but uh the hp uh, lovecraft historical society is really cool on, on its own like if you were not a member you can go to their website they have a, a lot of great merchandise including andrew lehman's films um t-shirts all sorts of stuff if you become a member they send you uh oodles of, of cool little fun paperwork in the sense of like i have a little kind of like H.P. Lovecraft uh, Historical Society kind of passport, which has different stamps on it, depending on what you contribute to the group in the sense of if you um, do some in-depth research on a certain topic or person or story and kind of submit it, you'll get another stamp on your thing. It's just a way to get involved with a community that is, they take this stuff very seriously. And I don't say that in a creepy way. I say that in like, these are are like-minded people who like, if you want to engage and share new stuff, this is kind of the thing that we were hoping for kind of settling with this this sort of podcast thing and so i've um there uh they also have like etiquette if you're going to engage on the facebook page don't be a don't be an asshole basically which um, is a great a great rule of thumb you know yeah um <laughs> and, and it's it's basically a lot of people sharing images movies books have you seen this does this qualify as lovecraftian and it's like a lot of ideas we've engaged on it and we've been connected with a lot of cool people one of whom i want to plug right now uh, his name is his Josh Gross. We um we posted on the, the the Facebook page that we were doing this podcast. We wanted to see if anyone wanted to join, be a part of it, had cool shit to share. And uh, this guy Josh Gross uh, wrote, reached out to us, who is a a member of a group called Puppeteers for Fears, which 
I thought that was amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm a plus for wordplay. I have to say, um, but basically because they did a thing called a Cthulhu the Musical, and it's a, a musical entirely with puppets. Um, they're Oregon-based uh, comedy troupe slash rock band. They've been around for about four or five years. They do original horror and science fiction rock and roll musicals with puppets. They describe themselves as the Muppets meet Rocky Horror. <laughs> um, Pretty perfect comparison. Yeah, I, I, I dig it. Like, it's, it, it really speaks to me because growing up, like, loving the Muppets, but also loving the darker side of, like, people like, you know, Meet the Feebles when Peter Jackson made his puppet movie. Oh, yeah. Um, there's the... Uh, Funny enough, there's a porn film called Let My Puppets Come, what, and it's like, it's people having sex with puppets. It, that's all I'll say. Isn't that Avenue um, Q, basically? Well, that's, a, that's the funny thing. And then I saw, and Avenue Q, when that was being talked about, I was so excited because, you know, loving the Muppets and watching behind the scenes stuff and seeing how they would, between takes, would just be the most filthy, deplorable people ever, because... They have to keep in character. Yep. So they'll just be like, and cut. And then like, it'll almost be like, you know, you know, like cursing and saying stuff, awful stuff. Like, and you're like, okay, they have to let that out before they go back into like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, and that's Avenue Q. Like, it's basically a bunch of former and current like Sesame Street and Muppet performers just going crazy with like, with the medium. And then I I never saw it. I was excited when I heard about it, but then I heard the reviews um, that Happy, what was it, Happy Time Killers or Happy Time Murders? Yeah, Happy Time um, Murders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, but it was weird. Out of nowhere, you're like, oh, an R-rated puppet movie. Okay, but then I heard the reviews. and then, But you know what? The shit that I like, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it might be freaking Citizen Kane of like um, puppet movies, so I don't know. But <laughs> when, you, when you had mentioned that like um, – he had like this this thing i was like oh okay a musical a horror musical with puppets that's already you've you've won me over i mean that's it jason siegel's character from um <laughs> uh forgetting Muppet. sarah marshall like yes they, they they have realized that dream basically of horror musicals with puppets um yes yeah they so they um it, they, they also do um They've done rock musicals about Bigfoot, UFOs, killer robots, mummies, and werewolves. That sounds like it's up your alley. I will post a link to their uh, their website on our Facebook page. It's puppeteersforfears.com. If you uh, subscribe to them, become a Patreon member, they will then you will have access to the full... It's about two hours with an intermission. Uh, the full Cthulhu the musical. Um, they, they were gonna take the gonna take their show on the road. They've been on tour before, but obviously the pandemic has kind of sidetracked that. Um, yeah. I, James, I told him if they ever come back to New York in 2021 to let us know, please, I'll, I'll be there day one. <laughs> I want to support that. Like the, the more creative, like I love it. And, and, and it almost like ties into when we're going to talk about the void later, where just like-minded people getting together and with a limited budget, just doing, going as, as far as you could, you know, with that budget. And I love that, you know, creativity will always trump like budgetary reasons you know i know I, I think so and, and it, it seems it, it, it's a lot of fun the kind of stuff they're doing so i'll, I'll link to it I, I hope once again that you all kind of take a peek and maybe even subscribe support s- struggling artists especially struggling artists who are uh kind of have to do other things these days during the pandemic but puppeteers for fears just one of the the, the cool people that have reached out to us um through the hp lovecraft historical society so i can't encourage you to do that enough but um 
We also have some other housekeeping before we do get to the discussion of the void. And so we talked about Hellraiser and that that news last episode. Yeah, we are a first and foremost a Lovecraft adaptation uh, podcast, but we are also a horror movie podcast. And though it's not specifically a horror movie, um, <laughs> Zack Snyder's Justice League incited a lot of horror within me because of how terrible it was. Yes, me too. Um, and for year, I guess it has been years they've been even clamoring for releasing the Snyder cut because a lot of fans thought that. Um, there was yeah. some evil cabal involved with uh, um, recutting Zack Snyder's Citizen Kane of superhero movies, I suppose, because of <laughs> somehow Warner Brothers being in league with Marvel, trying to tank DC properties. I don't know. but but Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Warner Brothers wanting to tank their own <laughs> property. I, I don't know. Right. I, I don't know. Getting Joss Whedon to, like, just to come in and to, quote unquote, save what was already done in the film. And before we even talk more about it, like, I still laugh that everyone thinks, oh, um, Snyder's cut is going to be less comedic because, you know, the dourness. But I have friends that were on the set and even Snyder said during that filming, he wanted this to be lighter in tone than his other takes because he heard the complaints and he's like, okay. We'll try to inject a little more humor with, especially with characters like the Flash, and Aquaman, kind of, you know, and 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 Cyborg and stuff. So, you know, I let let me ask you: when when the movie came out, did you see it in theaters? I saw it on an airplane. You saw it on an airplane. That probably was better than me. <laughs> I I saw it in a theater with two other people in there. Like there was a guy up front, mm-hmm. and I was in like a nice middle seat. Um, but it was at an, um, the AMC in 42nd Street. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. And another person in the back, and dead silent. Like, and throughout, I was just like, just like watching this thing going, you know. And I'm, 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 I grew up, and I'm still a comic book fan. Mm-hmm. I am. Like, I love when when a superhero can get me. Like, I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. It was one of the most boring two and a half hours with one of the lamest villains. Like Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf, like 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 you should just throw Darkseid in there. What what would it have mattered? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like like you might as well go big. No, let's wait for that. Let's do like the Thanos thing. No no, because you just rushed it already. So why even bother? Yeah. Um. So then of course I saw it, and then the whole thing like clamoring of the Snyder cut. And sadly at that time I remember um Zack Snyder's daughter had killed herself, yes. which was another reason why he stepped back from it, and Josh Whedon kind of completed. Mm-hmm. He had a real life tragedy and he stepped back because he, you know, which actually I thought was a really amazing thing for a filmmaker to do. Like, oh, family first. Oh, my God. What's happened in my life? So it's just funny that he, he's almost played along with this thing, the Snyder Cut, the Snyder Cut. And then I thought, oh, it must be completed like in his database, like like, you know, in, in something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, no, it's going to come out in 2021. It's going to cost another 20 million dollars to re-edit to make it the Snyder Cut. Okay, so that hurt my head. Okay, yeah. that was the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway I took from this Snyder cut. Not that it's going to be on HBO Max, which I understand they want to have big stuff for their launch mm-hmm. and like beyond. Fine, cool, that's cool. But twenty million dollars just—I mean, I, I mean that means the special effects weren't finished. That you know, there's a lot of things with that. You yeah, know? because 
before we even get into opinions, <laughs> let's let's lay out facts or at least what what I as an amateur right. know about facts. So the perception from people who are angry about I don't know how critics were reviewing Justice League once again a terrible movie um seem to believe that Snyder had done a full cut of this movie and right. that the studio took it away from him, recut it, reshot a bunch of things with Joss Whedon, and put out an entirely different movie, almost as though this is, you know, Donner's Superman 2 cut versus uh, whatever the hell his name is, the guy that t- took over after Donner. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know why I can't remember, but yeah, yeah the yeah, the Donner cut was, was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, and what what people didn't seem to realize is that the Snyder cut never existed. Snyder right. did most of principal photography and started assembling an edit with pre-visuals done, like not everything was completed, and we didn't mm-hmm. finish photography and then oversaw the completion of the edit. Right. The announcement that they are going to release the quote-unquote Snyder Cut confirms there never was a Snyder Cut because they are right. putting, as you said, $20 million in to do a lot more visual effects, a lot more re-editing, and to be clear... No cast is coming back. There's no reshooting done. Right, right, exactly. That's the biggest thing. Like, unless, like like you said, like, you know, the principal photography and whatever else, you can make this, you know, you can do it. But even stuff, like, look at, like, Blade Runner, how many times they've recut the film and mm-hmm. actually put money into it. And, it and, and I don't necessarily always agree with that, but do what you want as long as I could still have one of the original versions, like... Same with Apocalypse Now. There's always recuts and re, you know, and then Star Wars, of course, L- Lucas going back and re-editing and do, but it's his baby, you know. And and again, Zack Snyder, for better or worse, and I'm gonna say worse, you know, the three films that were just so dour, besides Suicide Squad, which is to the side, <laughs> but that, but a funny story, Suicide Squad will tie into The Void. I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, you'll you'll be shocked and amazed. I'm intrigued um, now, yeah. <laughs> but like that that was always my biggest complaint. Like watch you know, growing up reading Superman comics, you know, even Batman comics, they weren't always dark. Like Superman's never dark. Superman's like the like, you know, all about truth, justice, and the American way. Like that's even though he's not you know what I mean? Like it's always about I, I you know, even though I, I could basically destroy the world mm-hmm. if I wanted to, but I choose to help these people. But when I want, you know, I, I went into, I went in with the openest mind when like Man of Steel came out. I wanted like, and when I saw Han- Henry Cavill as Superman, the, the pictures, I'm like, wow, this guy looks like Superman. This mm-hmm. is, and I'll always say this about all the films. The casting has never been bad. No. The casting's always been pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I was a champion for Ben Affleck as Batman. I thought he did a pretty good job with what he had. The problem is the films that they're in are shit. Yep. You know, it's like it's like almost like if you get like like um, a bad writer on a comic book and you'd like, you know, and you always want to collect this comic book. And like I'll, I'll even say like certain X-Men writers in like the 90s after Chris Claremont left, <laughs> they could never match because Claremont, you know, I don't know why I'm going to go into stand, but Chris Claremont was one of these writers who was so obsessed with his world building mm-hmm. that he did not want anyone else. Every time like X-Men got too popular and they're like, Oh, we're going to make a Wolverine comic book now. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll write that too. <laughs> but you, I, I know, but I'm going to write that. Oh, well we want to do a British Excalibur. I'll do that also. 
But how are you going to have – but he did it. And <laughs> yeah. he was so upset because he didn't want anyone else screwing with what he did. So it almost feels like that's what Zack Snyder was almost becoming, but just not with the same storytelling um, prowess, you know, like like, – because, okay, I'm not going to say Zack Snyder's a bad filmmaker because I've liked a couple of his films, like, a lot. Like, I, I really like his Dawn of the Dead remake. Oh, sure. I think it's an effective one. And I really like the um, the Guardians of the of the, you know, the Owl one, the Guardians of Gahul. Yep. I think that's a really good film. Then you have stuff like Sucker Punch, oh, which I, I remember uh, when I saw that. And that's one I haven't seen since it came out. But yeah. a young Oscar Isaac in that as a villain. And, oh, yeah. But it's like, I understand, you know, to the extent Batman being dark. But, like, like I was scared, like, going forward, like, were you going to have a dark, like, Green Lantern movie? We already had a crappy Green Lantern movie, mm. but yeah, come on, you know we're gonna have a dark Aquaman. And luckily, once the whole Snyder thing went away, and then you had Shazam come out, which was fun, a lot of fun, a lot Aquaman, of fun. pretty decent, you know, yep. Wonder Woman, fantastic, mm-hmm. because they didn't go to Dower Roof. There was darkness within, but it wasn't hammering. Suicide Squad being the one kind of but. But that got a lot of weird shit with, uh, oh, we got to go back and re-edit and put more fun into it. And I'm like, you put more fun into this movie? Oh, we could we could talk so much yeah. about the problems of having Zack Snyder as sort of the creative control of the entire DC universe. Yes. But when it comes to the Snyder Cut, I want to focus mostly on just mm-hmm. it being released. And, and the one thing yeah. that I will give grace to or credence to maybe is I have to believe if we were not in the pandemic this probably wouldn't happen because people streaming services need content now. It's a good point. So, you made a great point right there. Yes. I, I think that's, that's a, a major component of it. And so I, I kind of don't begrudge them of that. And this is, I mean, listen, HBO yeah. max, people are going to be like, I have to sign up for this now. So good on them right. for, for being, for making a good business move, but yeah. releasing this validates the worldview of so many people who should not have their worldview validated in the, yeah, sense, the toxic fanboys. Of- yeah. The world, I know. I that's that's the biggest takeaway too. If we complain enough, if we bitch enough, if we make most for no reason because what they believed in was invalid or an illusion to begin with, and yet they right. are now having their worldview validated. Here's a really weird ass equivalency I'm going to make for you, James and listeners. <laughs> okay. And James, I'm sorry. My wife and I watch a lot of 90 Day Fiance, and I'm okay. not ashamed of that. But no, that's, that's... <laughs> there, there's there's a guy on the most recent season of of before the 90 days who has been, quote unquote, dating a Ukrainian girl for seven years. OK, he made four or five attempts to meet her in real life and she never showed up. And this man has dumped tens of thousands of dollars into this relationship and we follow him in this season of going back and giving her one last chance. And my wow. wife and I are just like, let this poor sad sack not die, but like let his emotions die so that he can move on and have some type Rebuild of rebuild himself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And spoilers. If you are yeah. watching the show, <laughs> she finally shows up. Oh, because the camera was there. That's why. And that's what we speculate because she finally is like, Oh, there's a, 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 a TV show following this guy around. I want to, that's what we're speculating, but it's just this guy yeah. now, after seven years of doing the wrong things of being clearly duped and robbed has found his worldview validated. And that should not be the case because what he believed in was an illusion to begin with. 
Um, I don't know. I'm going to ask you this: What, what do, do they show them go with their relationship at all, or just they that, finally meet and then that's it? Well, they it was it was at the end of the last. Okay. Well, not not even the end of the last one. So they they've been meeting and talking, and then the right. preview of this upcoming one makes it seem like things are not going to go. But but it's just the matter of the fact that he yes. he believed that. This dude even hired a Ukrainian private investigator who told him, this woman is on multiple dating sites. This is probably a scam. This happens a lot in Ukraine. And he's like, I don't right. believe you. I believe her. Why hire Why, why hire somebody then? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe it. But that's just the idea. I know. There are spent so much money. <laughs> multiple, there's been multiple articles and video essays explaining how like the Snyder Cut is not a thing. No. Like, this, this was not a, 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 a grand conspiracy. This was not even the fact that Snyder stopped at a certain point and had someone else veer their creative vision into a different direction. Right. This was Joss Whedon basically just being work for hire, kind of like, I'll do what you were going to set out to do. Right. It's kind of like Frankenheimer with um, when Richard Stanley got fired from, you know, um, the... Island of Dr. Moreau. Island of Dr. Moreau. I don't, that's how much I don't want to think about that version. But <laughs> but Frankenheimer just like, they go, hey, Frankenheimer, can you come in? You're you're a big enough name, value, and we know you can rein in these people. Okay, that's it. There's nothing, no flourishes. There's nothing like you go, oh, yeah, that's definitely a Frankenheimer yeah. shop right there. Or, or even uh, P.T. Anderson taking over for... Um, Robert Altman on the Prairie House Atlant uh, Pro oh, Prairie House Companion. Prairie House. Yes, yeah, exactly. Like he's basically like I'm not going to like I'm going to see your vision to the end because you are physically incapable of doing so. Right. I mean, going for like like you know directors getting their cut. I mean, of course, I dream of a day where we'll get um, Andrew Dominic's cut of the assassination of Jesse James, but a coward Robert Ford. Wait, I didn't realize that because I love that movie. There, are you yeah. telling me there's another cut out there? Andrew Dominic has said, like, he hated, he hates the cut. That, and I, I think it's a masterpiece. Yeah. But, but he did what he could. But they had to cut out. I, I, I have to find the article. But it's like forty or almost an hour, like that they cut out. And but here's the difference. Dominic has even said, if they allowed him to put this cut out, it would take him. He's like, give me one day, and I will put it out. Because he finished it. It's edited. It's he has it like at his home. So. He shows it supposedly, I think, to friends and stuff when they want to see it. But like, it's there. It's already made. And so, if someone said release the Dominic cut of that, oh yeah, they could, he could put it out tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Here it is to the world. This is what I wanted you to see. That's why, like, the whole release release the Snyder cut. It's like like he was in prison. His 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 creativity was shackled yeah. from us all. It's like mm -hmm. did you did you see the same movies? Like, it wasn't like. Man of Steel and Batman v Superman were like masterpieces. No, besides, you know, and I tried to see the good in those films. You know what I mean? Like the little little thing. Oh, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. But then, like, you go, no, it's like, and then ultimately, oh, why does Batman and and Superman not fight anymore? They, they, their mothers have the same name. <laughs> oh, it touched, warmed the cockles of my heart. I have to realize there is subjectivity. So if if you were a, a big fan of Justice League and you are eager to just see more content, fine. Cool. Fine. Yeah. But the Snyder Cut as a hashtag, 
as a release the Snyder Cut movement. Yeah. This was not a thing. This was based in something which never existed. And the and once again, it started, if you remember, in people mm-hmm. basically running conspiracy theories about the studio taking it away, about um, uh, about movie theaters or, or critics purposely tanking its Rotten Tomatoes rating as though Rotten Tomatoes means anything because of a, I, yeah. of, a, of a grand conspiracy to elevate Marvel films. It's like, no, it just, it wasn't a very good movie. And no. it doesn't matter... If Joss Whedon had taken was directing it from the very beginning, um, it would have still been this same thing. I mean, do you think in this supposedly four-hour miniseries cut, whatever they're going to do, that there's going to be additional scenes of what dark side of explaining plot holes of them them playing poker? I don't know. I don't. I mean, the only thing I think of that might be a positive is more character moments with the actual Justice League. Hmm. Learn, you know kind of bonding or like learn maybe like i i'll like that's the one silver lining i could think of like more stuff with cyborg and flash kind of joking with each other like you see little bits of but like i'm talking about the smallest little thread yeah to the point you go hmm and like the little banter between like batman and like wonder woman almost like almost like aping the um the uh justice league cartoon series where they were having this little romance going on, like almost like almost will maybe, mm-hmm. which is fine. You know, it's a little different, but, but like everything was like, almost like, Oh, we got to throw that in. We got to throw that in and put it in this little cut. But how much better can it be? Like, like, do you like, it was like already two and a half hours. Wasn't it? It's a long movie it, already. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, it's a very long movie. And f- let's not forget that the biggest problem with the movie in once again, yeah. in my eyes is that, it's entirely dependent on the return of a character that we already knew was going to return. So where's the tension? Where's the suspense? Yes. It's like, like the bigger ballsy move would have been like, he doesn't come back. Like, you know, like, and that would have been maybe the sequel. Mm -hmm. That would have been good sequel bait. Oh shit. He doesn't come back. Wow. They actually like, you know, and it's funny because like, I always look back at like, I look at Marvel and the Marvel way and like how they started off small like quote-unquote small but like okay we have this much money we've borrowed from the banks to fund these first like four or five films Mm -hmm. if it doesn't work we're fucked (laughs) well let's get good people involved good actors good writers good directors and kind of have a an overall vision but not the same director doing every single film like fine yeah josh whedon doing kind of being help like helping that first phase like mm-hmm. kind of building it from within with kevin fight wonder woman with patty jenkins did that making oh. this wonderful woman icon and like making the the meaty man the side character just like you're gonna yeah. you're gonna elevate this woman and we're gonna focus on the the woman character what james what james wan did with aquaman an inherently yeah. ridiculous character so he has fun with it the action sequences are fun you got yeah. willem dafoe chewing scenery at every single moment yes so the problem with Justice League and Snyder's Cut, in my opinion, is Zack Snyder. A director who I think gets worse as his career goes along. I loved Dawn of the Dead. I loved yeah. it. Like, he was a music video yeah. director, a commercial director, and you can see a kinetic energy in there, which I, you know, I love the original, but I love what he did with the remake. Same, and James Gunn also. Like, yep. it was a good com- combination of, like, a writer that had a good, like, version that changed it just enough, but not too much. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, 
this music video commercial director that using all the tricks mm-hmm. that he had. Yep. And it works and yep. it's good. Like, okay, they're running zombies because that was in. Yep. But it's horrifying. Like, it that's actually scary to me. I don't care for 300, but what he did with that was yeah, like, imitated for like decades to come, oh, basically. It's still being imitated. Like, yep. everyone imitates mm-hmm. it because. It's like the the most manliest film ever, and I also like I joke with people. It's also the most homoerotic film ever. <laughs> yeah. And if you say that to like the three hundred bros out there, mm-hmm. they'll like want to kill you. Yes. But that's what I love about it because I don't know if Snyder meant that, but I kind of love it for it because like because even the Frank Miller comic book, I mean Spartans, like, you know, it's always about stuff like that. So like I don't know. It's just but you're right. I, you know what? It's funny that like three hundred, even though I dug it when it came out like for the pomp and circumstance of it i always forget that's his film too yeah you're yep. yeah and then watchmen i mean i i like what he tried to do with it as a a straight adaptation but the the farther i get from it the more i don't want to revisit it i if that makes any sense you know don't care for what he did with it a thought that I've stolen from David Bax of Battle for Pretension. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that I wish I could say is my own, but you have a graphic novel which is based around how human and fallible these people are, and yet you shoot a lot of slow motion cool shit and the comedian punching through a brick wall. These are not humans anymore. No. Also, but he was a big champion of that graphic novel and of bringing it to the screen. Yeah. Um, but then it just, now it's, I mean, what is unique about his comic book stuff in my mind is he learned the wrong lessons from christopher nolan basically it's funny you say that because like nolan made action crime films that happen to have batman in them <laughs> like like he molded it around like to me it's like i, I don't see nolan reading batman comics yeah mm-hmm. that's fine because it's same thing supposedly tim burden who looks like someone that would have read Batman comics, <laughs> suppose he had never read yeah. Batman comics, which I love that Kevin Smith story. Like, like you look like a guy that would read Batman. Like, but it's like, okay, yeah. sometimes you like, you know, it's good to have a fan of the, of the product, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like you're trying to cater, like it's hard to adapt comic books. It is like to make it fun, but also realistic enough that like you can, I can understand what this character is going through, even though it's, he's a billionaire Mm-hmm. Who or he's a space alien that is the most powerful being in the in the universe. <laughs> the reason why the comics books are still going is because they've made him relatable, like to an extent of oh man, I can yeah. see like Superman started out as a Jewish allegory, like yeah. mm-hmm. he was a a Jew, like that's you had two Jewish writers and you know creating this comic book character. Mm-hmm. Batman, you had um, Bob Kane stealing all the good ideas <laughs> from Bill Finger, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> Um, there's a great comic book, out, like a one, sh- like a one page comic book of if, if Bob Kane, if, if it was Batman just as Bob Kane, like Bob Kane kept doing Batman. He had a multicolored costume. He killed people with guns yep. all the time. Like he didn't have a man, like he basically all the cool stuff that was created by like Bill Finger and others that we all know and love. He had nothing to do. With. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but still like. Like, I don't know. It's it's a sore spot for me because like I wanted these DC movies to do well, and I'm glad they've kind of realized let's just make standalones, and maybe one day we'll figure something out. But like, it took three movies not to do well. 
Yeah. And that's that's so for anyone to say that Warner Brothers was like, oh, we're gonna sabotage this guy. So you're telling me they they didn't sabotage Man of Steel, they didn't sabotage Batman v Superman, but they did Justice League, which was gonna be their biggest like they wanted to be like the billion dollar juggernaut. They could they're gonna screw that pooch because why not? We don't like Zack Snyder. Just fire the guy then. If there's a cut of a movie out there that I really want to see people clamor mm. for, release the Gareth Edwards cut of Rogue One. That's what I want to see. That would yeah, that would be cool. Um, but <laughs> yeah, but 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 Disney's got that locked up in the Disney vault somewhere, so we'll never see that the light of day. But um, that damn Disney vault. <laughs> yeah. Um. Also, hot take for me. I don't like what Burton did with Batman either, but that's uh that's neither here nor there. Right. Um, right. I I don't think this deserves any more discussion. Let's talk about something no. happier. Which is the void, and it's weird. <laughs> it's weird that that's that that, that that's happier. Um, but yeah, th- this was um, a movie that I'd heard a little bit about, kind of around the edges of film Twitter and and horror stuff. Um, and yeah, th- this is a it, it's it's a rarity these days. It's a short, like it's ninety minutes. Yeah, almost all practical effects. Yes, and kind of like a all one location, very low cast. Low cast, um, not a big cast, basically. Yeah, no, it's like barely, not not more than ten. Technically, not more than ten people. Yeah, I um, think that's like actually a small cast, no matter what. But the filmmakers do uh, Jeremy Gillespie and Stephen uh, Kostansky. Mm-hmm. They do a lot with very little, in the sense of like even from the very beginning, when you have that scene of uh, guy and woman stumble out of a house, these two mm-hmm. people set this woman on fire, and you're like, what? What the fuck are these? What am I watching? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, okay, this is, this is how you start a movie. This Mm -hmm. is how you start a story. Like, okay, something went on in that house Mm -hmm. and a clever filmmaker or clever filmmakers with not a big budget, just show a little bit like a dead body Mm -hmm. to the side. And you show something horrific, someone getting burnt alive Yeah, while they're begging, like, please, no. And like, what? Yeah, setting it up as though like, oh, these two guys, these are going to be our villains. Right, exactly. And nope. Small town police officer stumbles upon this guy, takes him to the hospital, and just slowly but surely the tension ramps up. Who the fuck are these guys in these white cloaks and hoods? What are they doing outside? Yeah, just standing there. Why yeah. is all of a sudden this nurse stabbing this patient through the eye after she's cut her own face off? It's just With like, a scissor. With yeah. a scissor, too, which yeah. is even... Like, to me, like, at first, the first time I watched it, when it first came out, I, I thought it was, like, a scalpel. And then when I saw it was a scissor, she was just cutting off pieces. pieces I'm like... Pieces of her own face. Okay. And and her saying, this is not my face. Mm-hmm. This is, and then, of course, that's very much like Prince of Darkness. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, the whole face thing and cutting, like, you know, your face off to kind of show your true self. Your, the underneath. You're... Almost like they're wearing masks and they're finally going to feel this transformation into something worse. Yeah. And I guess it's – and, of course, we see throughout the, like you said, the one nurse when she just kills that one – the one random guy that's still in this hospital that's been half burnt. Like he's the one left. Yep. Um, When Knives Chow is, like, talking to – which I <laughs> – Ellen Wong, yep. Ellen Wong, who I love. And it's funny because less than a week ago, one night – I was just bored. It was like two in the morning. I'm like, I can't sleep. I just put on Scott Pilgrim. I hadn't watched it in like eight, nine years. And I just was transfixed. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I'm like, oh, I don't want And then I'm like, right. She's also in the void. Okay, cool. 
all ties <laughs> together somehow. Like yeah. it's weird, you know. But yeah, it's the whole thing is you, there's no, nothing explained. But I love the whole concept of some some higher power, something is control, like gets control of people. And I think the whole concept is if if like like the nurse, if if somehow you get corrupted and you kill somebody, mm-hmm. if when you die, you come back as one of these new like what does the void is going to present so she becomes this hulking <laughs> like i love when you can't explain it yeah. like what they look like because and that's to me what's really good practical effects and that that's what these guys love to do mm-hmm. like astron six with everything from like father's day which if you want to watch a film with a lot of gore about people's um like like men's dicks getting cut off that's the film for you. Um, Manborg, which is a fun... Yeah, you mentioned super that. Super And I saw Manborg at Fantastic Fest, the one and only time I was able to go. And I won a poster from these two guys. Okay. Because I answered a question. It was like a midnight screening. And I don't even remember the answer, but it was like the question. It was like, I just raised my hand. I never do that. And I was like... And I got it right. They're like, oh, come up. Like, oh, cool. I have to find this poster, this signed poster by them, you know? Yeah, you do. You know, but what I love about them is that they pitched this originally as a a trailer, oh. like a like a minute and a half, two minute special effects trailer. Where I think it was um, Kostansky, I think, basically is playing the Powell character, like cutting his face off and like the doctor uniform, and like just re- he basically used whatever he could in his special effects studio, and just kind of use everything mm-hmm. with some friends and like with with it, and like let's try to let's try to get this funded let's let's get this you know and i love that i kind of love that where it's like let's just make a trailer and if people are interested then we can make the movie you know this this, this is a concept trailer and i think they went to frontiers and you know um i think um was that montreal they did it there and then they got noticed and stuff and they're like oh yeah now we gotta actually write a script and make a movie (laughs) and then that's when all the craziness went but i but i love that most people will try to fund a film on like Indiegogo or Kickstarter for the the full funding. They went on Indiegogo to fund the, the practical effects. Yep, yep. That was it. Like they, they got eighty two grand. Yeah, eighty. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that, but but then everything else went like the shit. They like watching them talk about it. If you could tell, this was that's why they'll never make a sequel to this because <laughs> they had a horrible time. Like the funding went like out. Like and then the one of the producers had to like basically get some more people at the last second and then the weather was bad and like yeah I, I, practical effects you know they're great but they have to work <laughs> if they don't work you're screwed like if like oh the ten and they they said the, the worst part was doing like whenever you would look at the the hooded figures outside mm-hmm. that was the one thing in the film after they were finished that they had to cgi <laughs> Because the wind and stuff will keep moving, <laughs> so they looked. They'd hate how it looked. So on the Blu-ray, they actually have the comparisons of like before and after, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh my god, they did so much work just on that. The the the, the computer graphics for those effects, and it's like, damn, like the, something like they're like, yeah, out of all the things we had to do CGI for, it's with these guys standing outside, just standing there. We had to fi- <laughs> we had to fix that. So. You know, you could tell they went through hell, but um, before we go on, I, the one thing I want to say was 
they were both I think they were both working on Suicide Squad to make money because they work on makeup effects and first okay. assistant director stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were in Toronto doing Suicide Squad and they were prepping the void. All the people they became friendly with and their team and stuff, basically between weeks and stuff, they would go and then do the void for basically no money just so so basically all these special effects guys that had to do this big budget CGI driven movie <laughs> they got to do this low budget like old school like character like creature effects and it was like a like a reprieve but ultimately they said the best part of the movie was the cast like they yeah. they loved the cast they got and they they have some heavy hitters like like I mean I don't I don't, I don't know if, were you a Twin Peaks guy uh, I, I watched and enjoyed it. I, I'm not a... I have not revisited it at all. Okay, because Kenneth, Kenneth Welsh, who plays Dr. Powell, who becomes yeah. something worse, you know, <laughs> was, like, one of the main baddies on Twin Peaks. Yeah. Like, he was um, Wyndham Earl, who was, like, this yeah, yeah, yeah. horrible, you know... So it's funny, because I'm like, the whole... The first time I saw this, I'm like... Why does that voice sound so familiar? Because he's got this great, booming like voice, especially when you just hear him talking to, um, the the sheriff character, and you're like, I'm like the whole time, like I gotta look him up. I'm like, oh my god, it's yeah, it's freaking Kenneth Welsh. Like no wonder. Yeah, guy's been in like 230 movies and TV shows. Yeah, and it's funny because when he showed up first in the <laughs> film, I was like, yes. okay, it's oh. it's not Malcolm McDowell, <laughs> and then and then realizing it was Kenneth Walsh. My first exposure to him as an actor was from mm-hmm. the Disney film Miracle about the 1980 U.S. Olympic team because yeah. he's the team doctor, but he's also using like a, a Europe or like some type of Eastern European accent in that yes. film. So I was like, this guy's face looks familiar, but I can't. And they're like, oh, oh, it's it's Doc from Miracle, of course. Yeah, he's fantastic. And like, I think that's kind of why this movie works to me. Like the, the practical effects are amazing and I love it. The The atmosphere, but like, Ultimately, you have to believe the characters. Like yeah. if, if 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 you just had, and that's kind of like what I like. I kind of not that I hate, but like when people talk about this film, it's like oh, the special effect, the, the practical effects, and and that, and the music. You know, the music's great, but it's like I'm like okay, but I mean, I love films that just have that, but like I need a little more. I need these actors to like congeal and like you know, I have to believe that these are people at this little outpost. And like you said, the carpenter thing. Prince of Darkness, I, I feel there's a lot of stuff in here with the cutting of faces and one of the last shots of the film yeah. is very much Prince of Darkness. Yep. Um, but also, it's very Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's the one enclosed. And a lot of stuff is, like, the thing, like, stuff, people being transformed with the... Also, even though yeah. he, even though Carpenter didn't direct it, yeah. Halloween 2 of, like, this abandoned medical facility where yes. just, like, shit is happening. Like, I was I was just thinking, like, oh, yeah, Michael Myers is going to come down the hall at any right. moment right now, chasing and, Laurie Strode. And going back to last last episode when we talked about Hellraiser, the whole time when the Sun character is running through that corridor that's closing mm-hmm. and closing and closing with the daughter still following, when he ju- – it's Hellraiser when, you know, when she's running out of hell, mm-hmm. which is basically what this is. This is – worse than hell it's the same thing they 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 even allude to yeah we loved hellraiser we wanted to replicate a shot which was much more difficult than they thought it was going to be yeah they actually had to make fake walls Mm -hmm. and everyone had to move together 
the wall to make it look like it was actually because it really was moving to crush this thing. <laughs> but I kind of like that it, it wears its influences on its you know sleeve. Like it's it's not trying to. It, they're not saying, "Oh, we're making this original film. We're we're making a super low budget film that we want to make, and we're gonna take little twinges of like like the whole like not knowing where." Basically, when the sheriff character gets these glimpses of this other world, yeah, yeah, it's very much like to me when that's like, and when you see these like weird pyramids coming, mm-hmm. the clouds, that's when I feel it's most like Lovecraft, like Lovecraftian, is those little elements of this other world where it's right on the, it's it, it could join us mm-hmm. and that'll be the end, but if it, but how are you going to stop that? These are just some normal folks in this little town. Yeah. How are they going to stop? And it's almost to the thing where when, when the hospital, everything's going on, you have this drug addict guy that like, they don't know where he's from Mm -hmm. and the one that escaped the house. And then when the father and son come, it's like, like you said, the whole time at first, they're like, well, are they the villains? Like they just want to kill this guy and they don't give a shit. They want to burn the place down. Yep. And leave it like they had to fight their way in mm-hmm. to get, you know, anywhere. And that's after the um, I think that's after the sheriff gets stabbed by one of the hooded folks, I think, like stabs him right like 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 you're yeah, fighting and he like stabs him right in the chest. Yeah, I, I think I think they show up. Yeah, because they show up to. They blow the head off of the thing that I, I think yes. the sheriff turns into, which is an awesome fucking effect. Oh, yeah. The, the what the. um. Um, that it's that other actor, yeah. The he's like the highway patrolman. Like they yeah, work the, the state, they, the state patrolman, state that trooper. Shows up. Yeah, yeah, he's the state trooper, and like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's. Be- it's basically the nurse sucking him in and like becoming this bigger, <laughs> yeah, this huger thing, beast, yeah. like this weird like peanut, pe- you know, penis thing coming out of its head, and you're mm-hmm. like, but I kind of love the fact that, you know, with some axes and with, with a gun, you could probably kill these things. It just takes a long time. Like these yeah. things are hulking brutes. And I think the whole thing is because it's still in the human world, like, you know, quote unquote, the human world. So mm-hmm. it's still flesh and blood. Yeah. So that's kind of like, like, I like looking at a movie like that going, okay, that's probably the science of it. I don't know if that's what they intended, but like, okay, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Which is fun to say, oh, it makes sense to me that these uh, hulking <laughs> monstrous things with tentacles, <laughs> you know, and, and there's a lot of tentacles in this. And we've talked about this from the yeah, start, just, Yeah. like the fear, the fear of like films that just go for that. But I don't know. I, I, I really like it in this. Like, I like the creepy, like, just even like when something gets like half its head blown off, more tentacles and sh- stuff just come out of it. It won't stop it. Like, it just will continue to devour and like to form something else. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's like, ugh, yeah, creepy. Well, and the I mean, the, the Lovecraftian stuff, even the IMDb trivia says the writers yeah. of the film say they were inspired by Guillermo del Toro, who was working on the ill-fated At the Mountains of Madness. <sighs> When he made a comment about wanting to do Lovecraft but in a way that no one had envisioned or seen before. So I know. it has the roots there. It has, like you said, the, the flashes to this other planet, plane of existence, whatever. I was reminded right. of the flashes of like uh, at the end of Stanley's Call Out of Space where it's like this. Yep. What is this otherworldly dimension thing? Mm-hmm. And it touches a little bit on even that idea of the rats in the walls or this idea mm. of a, of a, a, a main character finding out that his heritage or his lineage was involved with this in some degree. You have the doctor telling the main character, like there's comparisons to his father and how his father was involved in this. And you get the sense that he's been living with this legacy 
right. that he can't escape from. Um, but I know, like, for me, it why it felt more like Silent Hill and less like mm-hmm. Lovecraft was that the... Well, for one thing, the idea of a religious cult right. trying to use a physical being to kind of bring mm-hmm. about this kind of god or undead thing, that's at the heart of, like, every Silent Hill game, basically. Oh, yeah. Right. But I think they've even, like, the creator... What uh, Who created Silent Hill? That's um, Hideo... Uh, Shit. I, I, I feel so bad. Like, but I think they've even said that um, Silent Hill was influenced by Lovecraft and, and whatnot, because of the, especially like the, the initial ones, because if you look at like the first four, maybe the first three or four Silent Hills, like especially the room, mm-hmm. that one always felt to me the most Lovecraftian of the games, because you just wake up and you're in this room and you're trapped and you don't even know what's behind the door which funnily enough yeah was the hellraiser of that franchise in the sense of that was not created to be a silent hill game right. it was turned into a silent hill game which is so weird to me like 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 oh um uh kichiro toyama yeah yeah, yeah. I, I just looked okay. up as well but i, okay. I mean and Stop. but silent hill was influenced by so much by stephen king oh. by hp lovecraft by oh, carpenter yeah. by um Dean Koontz even like there's a whole lot of references in there to mm-hmm. you know um all, all sorts of these things just on like the, the the roadmaps and the names and the towns and like it's all in there yeah. um but but at the heart especially through in one through three this idea of we are a religious cult which are trying to use a physical surrogate to bring to- about this god or this creature that's really in there and mm-hmm. while that's not contrary to lovecraft stuff i mean even in the call of cthulhu they they mentioned there's like a a kind of a cult and like operating in the bayou basically um this 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 feels a little bit more not more but it's less existential in the sense of i I don't know the the story felt so specific to our character basically because of the baggage he brought to it of like him and his ex-wife and the the loss of their child and the themes seem to be more um, emotionally intimate versus a Lovecraft story, which is more of so of your vision of reality is being destroyed. Like not, not really in this, this was just kind of people who are trying to, I mean, we have an evil doctor. Kind of, I, I don't know. I'm not explaining it well, but like, I, I guess that, that yeah. Prince of Darkness had this overarching feel of like your systems, your faith, your religion, that's all f- false. That's not the case here. Like, it wasn't as though our characters were adhering to a truth that was demolished for them. It was just instead, like, here's some evil shit from another dimension, which is trying to kind of get in here. And and that's not a that's yeah. not a bad thing, per se. It's just, it's no. not. It, it wasn't, as I was saying to you in the intro, not as Lovecraftian as the poster would have me believe. Oh, no, especially, yeah, like, especially, well, that's funny, because one of the posters is straight up, like, Lovecraftian and Prince of Darkness, like, with the the hand going through and the tentacle fingers coming out yeah, through yeah. the, the mm-hmm. reflection. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I think, yeah, like this isn't like hundred percent. Oh yeah. This is definitely only Lovecraftian. No, they, like you said, they've, they've taken from so many of like what they love of like, especially eighties horror. Mm-hmm. Like that's a big thing. Like, you know, like the Hellraiser, but then, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I don't want to ruin the end of the film, but like when we see characters in this other world, that's the beyond the yeah. end of the beyond mm-hmm. is almost like that with these two people just 
trapped in this other dimension or I mean does it make sense I don't know because it's it's one of those things where and I'm glad the filmmakers don't answer all the questions it's like you take whatever you want from it mm -hmm. we made this film whatever and we're never going to make a sequel at all like <laughs> be be happy we made we got through this right because that's it but I kind of like like to me like the ending feels to me also very Lovecraftian in a sense where even though in one aspect it's like almost like a happy ending but with these other characters it's like they they you know they're damned for eternity or whatever you want to say like what's in those you know pyramids probably these the old ones these old gods or something like yeah you know what I mean it's not told and you don't see really like the Really, the only time you kind of feel anything like that is like these weird pyramids and like the cloud formations are like I almost could like see like weird like faces or something within. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that was intended or just, you know, the, the digital copy just kind of looks a little weird. But yeah, but other than that, yeah, it's very Silent Hill, Hellraiser, Carpenter stuff in general, like the music mm -hmm. and and the feel of like. And I kind of love like the the hospital setting, even though it was made in a school, but <laughs> yeah. they made it look like a hospital, <laughs> yep. which I love. But I love, I don't know what it is. I love horror films that take place in like one setting, like kind of, okay, you're trapped here. Mm -hmm. Go from there. Yeah. You know, now can you ramp up the tension through this whole thing? How can you make it interesting for 90 minutes? And that's the other thing, like you said, 90 minutes doesn't overstep its boundaries. Like mm -hmm. you, by the time you get to the end, you almost want to see more because you're like, oh, that was a fun ride. Oh, it's over. Okay, crap. Okay, cool. Okay, um, that was it. And yeah, you're right. Uh, something about the one location, the threat being outside and external, allowing yeah. the conflict inside the walls to kind of like bubble up. I mean, that's that was what was great about Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, mm -hmm. Day of the Dead. This idea of like the threat is outside yes. and yet we can't even get unified within here kind of a thing and what it brings up internally in the struggles. I mean, the, the heart of this one is the cop and his ex-wife and how they lost a child and how they, they have not come to terms with that. Yeah. Like, and that to me, the creepiest thing in the movie is when, um, Powell is talking to, to him about losing the, the kid, like the child. And when he says he noticed that, and you're like, is he really telling the truth or is he trying to fuck with his mind? Mm -hmm. But saying that the sense of relief that you felt when your child died. Yeah. And to me, that was like, like what he was saying to him and what he was saying to Allison, the nurse, who's the ex-wife. Or they might, from what I gathered, I don't know if they were exes or like they just, ha they were like living apart now. You know what I mean? Since I, that event. I think, I think there was a line when... Okay. Um, the, the cop, and I'm sorry that I'm, I don't even know their names, but the cop and the guy who's credited as the father when they're yes. heading down yeah. into the basement and he has some type of line about like how I hate my ex-wife or something. Um, oh, okay. So he, he, he says, Oh something. yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Something like that. Like I hate, you, know, you don't know. Cause I hate, you know, I have to be here with my ex-wife or something. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, and you kind of oh. get it from pieces around them. Cause then Powell also says something about how, when he, and once again, is this real or not? When he lost his daughter, it destroyed our marriage as well. And kind of, you get the sense of like, Oh, it happened to them too. So he's relating to him. Um, yeah. But, but we noticed that Powell went one way, uh, <laughs> a completely different way. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, he, cause, and, and that's kind of what I like too. Cause like, the way it builds upon the story is like, it's not just like here, here's a B and C. It's like, okay, the, dr the druggy stabs Powell, mm -hmm. but it's kind of what Powell wanted. 
I think that's why he was going towards him because he knew he was going to get killed, right? But you don't know that when it happens, which I kind of love. When you look back at it, you go, oh, he wanted to be stabbed and killed. That's why he because I think his name was James, actually, the drug addict. <laughs> um, James actually recognizes him. He knows him from that house. Yeah, from the, the, yeah, the, yeah, the sex orgies made and them killing. watch yeah, horrible things. They, yeah, they made us watch, you know, whatever. So you go, he knew it was him right away. So, of course, that's why Powell goes closer and closer to him because, like, he knows he's going to get stabbed and hopefully killed. Yeah. Because then he can transform to this higher power. Well, and, and yeah, and it ties in interestingly to that idea of, you know, if these two people did suffer the same fate, the loss of a child, you have our main character who his journey is supposed to be one of accepting that that happened. Whereas the doctor was like, nope, I don't accept I'm that. I'm bringing it back. I'm going I'm to lean into this. And so he expects people to do the same thing. He expects that the junkie to do that. He expects our main right. character to do that. So, yeah, and, and that sort of makes it nefarious in the sense of fate versus choice like that sort of thing but yeah um yeah you hit on something that i wanted to get back to just that idea mm -hmm. of um one element of lovecraft stories i i love is how your imagination for the most part kind of fills in like i know in at the mountains of madness he described what shoggoths look like he describes right. those giant penguin things but for the most part what we have of his characters are illustrations other people have done and right. I love that the imagination makes it scarier. And I love the fact that when you first see this huge hulking thing the nurse turned into, it's shot in such a way where it's low flashing light. So you don't fully see what it is because right. one, you knew that that was for budgetary constraints or they didn't want you to see the whole thing because like, no, we, we just kind of have a facade here. We don't want you to see the strings and the, you know, the metaphorical we don't strings. Want to, we don't want to, we want to, we don't want you to see you um, see the guy in between the feet because <laughs> right. the way it's, when you watch the special feet, you actually see it on YouTube. I think it's called like nightmare or something, the making of the void. Okay. It's cool. Nightmare vision or something. But what's cool about it is seeing a guy, in between and like using the arms mm -hmm. and then like someone else in the back, like kind of kicking the legs. But then some stuff they had to do later, like when the daughter is reborn and like when the, the legs kind of slammed down mm -hmm. at first, that's that wasn't even in that scene. That was a, that was shot later. Oh, yes. okay. Like as a, just a, just a guy taking two legs going like this, <laughs> <laughs> which is just great. That's why I love about movies like that. That's, yeah. That makes me so happy because, like, like no matter what, even if, like, the acting wasn't good in this film, I would have been like, okay, at least the special effects were good. Mm -hmm. But, like, I'm kind of – I'm kind of impressed that they got – everyone's pretty good to really good in this movie. Like, like yeah. it's there's no, like, oh, God, just terrible. Like, everyone has a reason for what they are. Like, I think Daniel. Daniel. That's now it finally came to my name. Yes, my head. yeah, yeah. Daniel. Yeah. Okay, Daniel. Because now I remember Powell keeps saying it. Daniel and it's like uh <laughs> yeah but you know he could have went over the top in some parts but what what I like about his character is that he gets his ass kicked throughout this movie yes stabbed punched thrown um stabbed in the back yes and he just keeps going because like you said like he's not accepting what Powell has done and what he wants him to kind of join him in this otherworldly bliss or whatever mm -hmm. you want to say which i always love that concept of you know join me you'll you'll feel like it's like the hell raising it you'll feel pleasure beyond or, or i mean even from beyond that idea of like you know yes i I, oh. I am i am more than myself in this 
whatever the fuck thing yeah. I am. Yeah, and you're like, and you know, we're watching it from like our you know normal person point of view. I'm like, no, that looks terrible. That looks awful. And <laughs> yeah. and what I love is you remember the whole thing too is when the daughter's reborn and like she just basically rips out of this other girl who was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And what I love is like you know the whole concept is all these hooded people are followers of Powell and his higher power, whatever it is. But I love the first thing you see is like the my 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 followers will be changed, and then the daughter just steps on two of their heads, <laughs> immediately crushes them. Yeah, right. And I'm like, and to me that's kind of like the best like shot of yeah, okay, yeah, that that's what you got transformed into. Mush, you're mm-hmm. dead. Like you, you're not getting shit. Sorry, guys, yeah. you're dead for a turn. And that's the other creepy thing about this movie too, where because Powell talks about people accepting this other life, this beyond death. But when they go down to the basement, which is altered, like it's almost like in this other world. Yeah. Why they can't find the door. They can't find this. And all those corpses that are like that one basically zombified thing, just trying to kill itself over and over again. Mm -hmm. Like that's really well done because these are all the people that, have been killed and brought back, but almost like they're not accepting it. Yeah. But they can't, they can't kill themselves. So it's, it's an eternity of hell. Yeah. It's, and that's hard. That's horrible. That's horrific. That's, yeah. And that to me also is very like, Oh yeah, that sounds like something that would be like, I don't know necessarily Lovecraftian, but it's like something that like gets under my skin and makes me feel like, Oh my God, like he convinced these people. This is better. The quote that I read at the top of the episode was from the doctor saying it to Daniel's ex-wife. Um, and, and I think the immediate thing that he says after I, I I cut off was we made like I made mistakes, of course, or there were, you know, failed experiments, of course. I know. It's like, oh, my God. He's like, like it's an afterthought. Eh, some failed, failed experiments. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that scene was not just horrific emotionally, but also, yeah, some of the practical effects in that basement are horrible <laughs> what about what about okay the two two questions i have one, one is not even a question one's like more like of one of to me the coolest looking things was the one zombified creature guy that the spider walk the upside down spider thing. Walk, and that's i think his name is troy jones who is a guy that can basically move his arms oh, really? and okay his head around like because they were casting they wanted to get motion capture but not necessarily motion but like performers that can like do more just by movement right and this guy sent the tape in of him just spider walking with his head completely twisted oh. and they're like they even said they're like we created a we created a creature just for him <laughs> it's like how what is that going to look like and they said it looked worse like than we ever imagined and that was <laughs> but my one question for you that i don't know if it's like cut and dry but i don't know what you your take on it so when powell's talking to Daniel and Daniel goes into the room where Allison is. And at first she's, it looks like when she was originally pregnant. Oh yeah. And he goes to her and, and she's talking to him and stuff. But then we see what the room is really like with the tent. You know, basically she's given birth to something. Yeah. And then we see from like the door, like the, the um shadow of him, like hacking her up in the blood. So my question to you is, do you think he kills Allison 
as this creature, or do you think Powell has screwed with his mind so much that she hasn't been changed at all? And he killed, you know what I mean? Like he, cause that's the whole concept. Like he tries to get you to do stuff like to kill in his name or whatever you want to call it, you know? Cause we do see her belly with the, some sort of rib creepy child thing coming out of, you know, at first, but then like he hacks her up. Do you think, cause then not to ruin the ending, but at the end they're together. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Weird, I, I could take it multiple ways, which is kind of cool, but mm-hmm. I don't I want to take, I want to see what your take on that. My read of it was the reality was he mm. was in that basement with his ex-wife having given birth to this yeah. horrible tentacled thing. He was given the illusion, literal illusion Mm-hmm. of his wife being happy and being able to rebirth their daughter that they lost right. to try and dupe him into letting his letting this this creature live basically and yeah. so that's why his character arc being accepting what happened is why he's able to put her out of his misery or put her out of her misery because he's like this is not what we wanted, this is not what she would want, and he kind of—it's a, a merciful yeah. end, basically. So because we see it yeah. later too with the the son and the father, where the father believes he's seeing his his dead ex-wife, but really they're just in the basement. Right. It's just him twisting like that. It's like they're back at the house, and you go, no, it's just him yep. playing with their minds. I I kind of like that kind of like you could take it multiple ways. Oh, did he? But yeah, like I think just putting her. Like, I don't even think she's still alive. Then how are they together at the end? That's something See, that I mean I, I I'm not sure. I didn't even think about that. Right. No, and that's and that's my whole thing. Like, it'd be funny if ultimately when Powell says, "Do you want to be with Allison?" I can give you that. Yeah. And he chooses. He says, like basically, he says no and takes Powell and throws him into the the void, which then <laughs> closes up. But. I don't think Powell would be killed from that. You know what I mean? Like, technically, he isn't any part of this bigger... So I think it's one of those things where he played into what Powell wanted in a weird, messed up way. Like, he, yeah. he, that's, he, that, he mm-hmm. got Allison at the end. Now he has her, but it's, I think it's all an illusion. That's an interesting read that never occurred to me, and I think adds a... Yeah, such a downer element to right. it. Right, which... that's why... I mean, me, I love downer endings, so that's why I look... I, I try to take it the worst way, and I'm like... Because to me, it makes no sense because then where is – because, okay, let's just say in this other world when people die and they become these things, their normal self is now trapped there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I could believe that. that That's a cool concept too. But we don't see anyone else. We just see them two. Just the two of them, yeah. And that's kind of like – I think even if they didn't intend that, I think that's also a little striking nod to maybe you could take it that way. I think you know? at, I think at this point in history, I'm more susceptible to that read because I recently rewatched the first two Matrix movies. Oh, yes. And the idea of giving free will as an illusion to further control someone is like at the front of my yes. mind. Uh-huh. No, you're that's I, I, I that's where when did you rewatch the Matrix is I, I rewatched the Matrix maybe like two weeks ago, like after we did our last episode. It, it was for some reason I was I was itching to watch it for some reason. Yeah, it, it was about two weeks ago for me as well, because I, I I'm leading hmm. for my church. I'm leading kind of like a, yeah. a remote 
movies in Faith small group. And so the Matrix mm-hmm. was one that we talked about. And then just on my own, I'm like, I, you know, I want to rewatch the Matrix Reloaded because a lot of the conversation there was talking yeah. about how ideas change or are abandoned in the sequels. And yeah, Reloaded, I like a lot more than I used to. Uh, I'm going to have to rewatch that one, yeah. Yeah, I, I've yet to bring myself to rewatch Revolutions. But um, <sighs> but yeah, no, but just that idea of your free will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but just that idea of like your we're going to make you believe that this was your choice that you could do what we wanted you to do the whole time is uh, a horrible yeah. nihilistic, but also interesting in this filmic context idea. Um, the the one, yeah. the one question I will have for you is what are your, yeah. this kind of bugged me when I first saw it. It's bugging mm-hmm. me a little bit more now that I think about it. The fact okay. that our, our, our two real world survivors are yes. Ellen Wong and the son who are basically nothing characters. Ellen Wong does basically she just kind of is screaming throughout the entire film and she hides like the last like in the closet. Yeah, and the son says literally no words because he's a mute he's, he has a neck injury. But it, like something yeah. It, I I don't want to say it seems unfair that these were the two that survived but like but why these two I was I was of all the characters I was the least invested in the two of them and yet they're the ones who are, come out at the end. I wonder if that's I wonder if that's intended to be like how if you watch any old horror film and whoever survives if anyone survives it's usually one of the main characters of some sort or you know it's it's someone of importance but what if it's the least important people like the people like one person that doesn't have a word in the movie Mm -hmm. and like you said ellen wong who really like you said is kind of an asshole at first and then just screaming the, the other half yeah and it's like but to me that's almost also nihilistic saying does it really matter and then Ultimately, do they survive? Because we don't know how big this thing is. And like you see the, you know, even though they, they're like, they kind of like fall into each other's arms, like of this heart, you know, which is a cool little shot. But then we see outside with nothing around. And then you see the clouds again forming. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's inevitable. I think even though they survived the night, I think. Because remember, the father says that this has been going on in multiple places. Don't you hear the sounds of the siren, the, the the horns? Yeah, you're right. Okay. So I think it's something more bigger than what we see. Like, of course, small budget, you show what you can show. Sure. But I think the little nods to, like, this is bigger than just this one house, mm-hmm. this drug house that had all these murders and stuff. Because here's my thing. Where did all, the, like, you know... We see most of, or at least from what I can gather, a bunch of the followers in the the underground temple place. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's everybody. No, it can't be. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's a few. There's two side by side, and a few that were on the floor that then get stepped on. But you don't see like twenty of them there. Well, it's like you said that uh, how this film kind of raises a lot of questions and doesn't give a lot of answers, and purposely so. Yeah. Was this relegated to this town and area? Is this happening all over the country? How big of this is a thing? And we're not really sure. Um, and whatever your mind tells you is probably the filmmakers be like, cool, go with that. Um, an interesting piece of synergy I just realized. Uh, Ellen Wong from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and the Matrix trilogy. Uh, both shot by uh, Bill Pope, the DP on both the Matrix trilogy and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which is quite wow. funny. Yeah, that's see a lot of weird connections with us, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's that's Hollywood, though. I think like sometimes when it's a really good 
cinematographer, yeah, get him, get him for this and this. Come yeah, on. No, and I mean, it shows his versatility because like Scott Pilgrim is so oh. bright and and fun oh. and and kinetic, and the Matrix is not very da- green. Yeah, and, da- and, and a yeah. little bit dour when. Yeah, um, a little bit monochromatic in a few different senses, desaturated. So it's that's that's interesting, and and you know we have him to thank for uh, the proliferation of bullet time photography, for better or worse, whatever you want to think of that. But um, I don't know. I guess uh, anything else on on the void, James? I've got the the only other thought that I had was it's kind of funny they call it the void because in the film they keep referring it to it as the abyss, but I guess that title was taken already. <laughs> I know. I was thinking that too. Like, oh yeah, that would have been. Um... I mean, you could have called it that, but it'd been like, uh, hmm. no, don't do that. But yeah, no, I mean, other than that, like, that's about it. I mean, we've we've talked about it a lot. I mean, is it 100% Lovecraftian? No, but it has the little nods to me that I can understand it being on these lists of, like, top 10 Lovecraftian films or whatever you want to call it. Like, every so often I'll look at some of these lists and to see if there's anything new someone put in there, like something that we've never found ourselves and i'm always happy to see it there but i really think sometimes it's a lot of times people not really fully knowing what lovecraftian means yeah but that's fine i mean ultimately i think it has just enough lovecraftian stuff in it that i i don't have a problem with people calling it lovecraftian yeah there's what i'm trying to say you know there are some hints of it i wouldn't call it a lovecraftian film but i'm not critiquing either because it does borrow from a lot and does it effectively um, yeah. but yeah, it, it's, is it kind of does tie into that joke we've made and like, just throw some <laughs> tentacles in it and becomes Lovecraft. Well, n- no, uh, but there are some kind of hints at themes, but they, they did a really effective job of like, yeah. we're going to take a little bit from here, a little bit from here, a little bit from there, and we're going to make our own thing. And that own thing was quite effective. And I'm sorry to hear that they, it was such a miserable experience, not because I want to <sighs> see a sequel, but I'd like to see them do something else in the horror genre. Well, Good little side story. Okay. Um, it seems like Steve, you know, Steve Kostansky is more of the director. Mm-hmm. Like he, because he's done stuff even like without um, Gillespie. Like I've never seen it, but the the latest Leprechaun movie, I suppose he did that, but did not realize it was a TV movie. So oh. whatever. But good news is the newest film he just completed is Psycho Gorman. Yes. Which is going to be on Shutter. in the next couple of months or whenever like they signed the deal to premiere it so that looks like a lot of fun like that looks like et if et was like a horrible killer from space (laughs) so like his name is psycho gorman so it almost seems like it's almost back to like the astro astron six type of feel Mm -hmm. but they try to make a serious film i think they did a job a good job at it but it seems like stuff like biocop and father's day and manborg might be more in line but i mean i just want more films but i'm like i you know i think they're very creative guys that just love a lot of the same stuff that we love so mm-hmm. keep keep it going you know just and they do a lot of short films so that's always cool too like i think they did one in abcs of death too um, oh okay which you know ties into an idea that just came to my head and oh, i'm yeah. sure there's a lot of movie studio executives listening to this podcast so i'll say you can uh <laughs> email us at moviesofmadness.com to give yes. me money for this but mm. we're in the age of 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 zoom and google hangouts and shit now yes. let's 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 have another vhs movie installment but, and have these guys do something in that and 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 that way you have the framework of basically 
you have four screens, people are kind of talking, and in each screen, something else fucking happens that just devolves into them dying. But like, and have them make an installment. I would, I would very much like to, I'd very much like for that to happen. That would be cool. Yeah, like I mean, there's um a collection of their shorts um that they put out. I still, it's in storage somewhere for me, but it's Astron Six, the shorts. They did, they did a bunch, like five or six shorts that are just for the for the amount of money they had. Mm-hmm. It's basically like a thousand dollars Canadian, which is even less, <laughs> um, to make some of these like just bizarre, weird thing, like something called like Laser Ghosts Two: Return to Laser Cove. <laughs> there's no, there's no first one, so it's like that's I love that. I like, I like that. I like that though. That's fun. Yeah, um, but they're they're uh, what I love about them. They're creative, creative guys, but they're also working filmmakers. That yeah, like they make a film here and there, but then if you look at their credits, you know they have visual effects, composer, art director, you know, assistant art director, all these different things for some big films and big TV shows. Like I think um, Gillespie, yeah, Gillespie's working on Lock and Key as a first assistant art director. Yeah, okay. It Chapter 2, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Hell, he ties into what we were talking before. He's also first assistant art director for Shazam. So, (laughs) So it's bizarre to me, like, you know, and The Shape of Water, which... okay kind of cool because then it came back to the whole game of toro so yeah they're great they're fun guys and like hearing them talk you could tell like they love what they do but when it's hard they they don't lie they don't go oh everything was great it's like no it sucked but we got it done (laughs) you know and that's kind of like to me more of a realistic look at filmmaking than what most people try to show yeah no you know that's true i mean it's you know don't don't get into this kind of thing unless you love doing it because it's not going to be an easy road for you. But yeah, so that's that's it for our discussion of the void. In June, we're getting back to actual Lovecraft adaptations. Yep. And so we figured first day of summer is June twentieth. Mm. It's weird to think that summer's already coming up because we spent most of spring <sighs> indoors. Yes, isn't that crazy? What yeah. You, that that's a Lovecraftian story right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we figured. Summer, June, it's going to get hot. How do we combat the heat, air conditioning? Yes. Cool air. So we're going to devote June to two adaptations of cool air. And oof, I, um, but okay, I'm on IMDb right now. Yeah. One yeah. version from 2006, 4.4 out of 10 stars. Okay. And then another adaptation called Chill from 2007, 3.2 out of 10. Oh, so that's better, right? <laughs> so... I, I don't know what to expect from this. As of this recording, we have not seen either of these. No, but here's a here's a little funny thing. Okay. You see you see who's in Chill? Uh I'll, let me click over there. You'll see you'll see the second actress, the the, the main actress in the movie. Ashley Lawrence? Hellraiser. <laughs> That's Kirsty. <laughs> so now you know what? For me, that actually makes me want to watch it more. Okay. But it doesn't mean it's gonna be good, but it makes me want to watch it more. I, I really thought I was going to scroll down and see Jeffrey Combs in there. That's what I was expecting when you said, do you see who's in there? Um, was it just me in 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 um in the in the void? Um, I think the actor that plays Daniel is um Aaron Poole. Yeah, he has a he has a, a Jeffrey Combs like look to me. He does. Yeah. No, like young, like if super young, like and smooth faced. Yeah, you know no. what I mean? Like, without the pox, like, you know, that makes Jeffrey Combs, like, you know it right away. But yeah. I'm like, the whole time, I'm like, maybe that's why they cast him, you know? 
No, I, I can yeah. I can see that. But yeah, so we're we're gonna be mm-hmm. doing and, and cool air, I think, and I, I I believe I commented on this in someone's post in the, the Facebook page of HB Lovecraft Historical Society. Yeah. Cool Air may have been the first short story of his that I ever read. I'm sure you've said that. Yeah. yeah. That's exciting. So like that's your that was your gateway. Yeah, basically. Into Lovecraft. And, and it's it's a good introductory story because it's well, one, it's short. Two, it's not tied into any of the mythos or the mythology. It's just basically kind of a story of kind of tying into that idea of people just having larger knowledge of something and also just kind of being bags of flesh. And specifically, you know, there's almost something a little bit Cronenbergian about that story now that I think about it. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, it's bad. (laughs) We'll we'll explore this a bit more and potentially exciting news. So all six of you who are listening are probably just sick of James (laughs) and I at this point. We haven't had guests in the past where we've always been open to it, no opportunities have arisen in the sense of we haven't asked, I guess. But um, yeah, yeah. more connections we made through uh, becoming friends of, of the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. I got an email, we both got an email from a guy named Thomas Campbell, who is a, a screenwriter for uh, Deadbolt Films that made uh, a, a short called Beyond, which is an adaptation of From Beyond. And, and it's yes. great. I think it's great. Him and his uh his directing partner, a guy named Gav Chucky Steele, mm-hmm. uh, he Thomas wrote it, Gav directed it. They've also got some other stuff on there, uh, and I'll link to their their website as well. They do a horror podcast as well, um, that it, that kind of comes from um behind the scenes insight as like creative production people, which is kind of cool. cool. Um, yeah. but the the two of them in theory, and and I say in theory just because we haven't worked out the details yet, we're still communicating with them, but are both of them are going to join us for one maybe two who knows but we're gonna have some guests talk about at least one adaptation of cool air um and once again i'll put their their website on our facebook page so you can check out their stuff but beyond yeah i mean it you know from beyond we were both fans of the feature length film is to record and film but it is a short story i think it's like four pages long and so they don't try and do too much with it in their short they take what was effective about it and then they add some new stuff to it there's um, a reference oh. to the King in Yellow. I'll say that. Oh, nice! Very yeah. good. So, um, a a book which has been on my Kindle for literally years that I have not. Read. You know what I read that story? You mm-hmm. know what I read that book was while I was watching True Detective of season course, one. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like everyone else, you know, I was like, wait, that's oh, okay. <laughs> it's really good. I'm like, for you not to have read that, surprising. Because like I read it and I'm like, this is really good. Like, and there's a lot of like. Like, I wonder if that'll ever fully get adapted. Well, if I remember correctly, it's it's kind of a, an anthology of, like, a few different stories, right? Right, yeah. It's, like, almost, like, chapters within this, like, world, you could say. But, yeah, it's it's effective stuff. And, like, what they took from it for True Detective is, like, pretty cool. Like, what... Basically, it's, like, I'm surprised they didn't take stuff from Lovecraft for True Detective, you know? Like, but at the time, he wasn't popular again yet, so that's why. I choose to believe that the portal that Matthew McConaughey saw at the end of season one was an actual portal because that makes me appreciate this. And, and I, I love that yes. first season. But, yeah, um, so that was The Void, Cool Air, next month. Thomas Campbell, Gav Chucky Steele are going to be guests talking to us. Um, if you have any comments about this episode, past episodes, um, or even just you want to share some cool shit with us that you've taken part in, we'll plug it on our website, website, our Facebook page, we'll plug it on the podcast, email us at, uh, moviesofmadness at gmail.com, 
I'm Nolan Fixes Teeth on Twitter. James is Fistful of Media. Hopefully, uh, everyone is keeping safe, is keeping healthy, and is keeping sane. Next time, we'll be talking about maybe cool air, maybe chill. We'll let you know. But in the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with Dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. <laughs>